All right, everybody, welcome to the High Fidelity Podcast. I'm your host, Hai Trung. I am super stoked to have in the studio today two magnanimous, creative, and also very stylish and skilled gentlemen here, the proprietors of Cabal Crafted, Mr. Tony and Mr. Walter. Thank you and welcome to the High Fidelity Podcast. Can you please introduce yourselves, your company, and why on earth in 2019 would you devote your time, energy, talent, and charisma into creating leather crafts for other human beings. Mm. Thanks for having us, hi. Um, my name is Walter Cabal. I'm the founder and the designer and the creative director for Cabal Crafted. I My degree's in philosophy, um, but a lot of that thinking overlaps into design. Um, I'll have Tony introduce uh, himself, and then we'll uh, talk a little bit more about Cabal Crafted. Sounds good. Hey, what's up? I'm Tony. Um, I'm the project manager of Cabal Crafted, also senior hype guy. <laughs> well, I have my background in school. I just graduated undergrad from UC Riverside, and uh, I, I help both the back end and the numbers with the company, and making sure that we're sustainable and able to upscale in the near distant future. Fantastic. So uh, what, what they're neglecting to tell us is uh, Walter came in on a beautiful vintage motorcycle uh, in a very tastefully all white. This man is rocking white jeans everybody. It takes guts it takes charisma, it takes confidence <laughs> to rock them white jeans and then contrasting I I don't know if you guys coordinated this that's or so, not I would, but Tony is wearing all black with a very tasteful <laughs> silver chain Yeah. so uh, there's a lot going on in the room right now yeah yeah <laughs> Yin Yang twins. I'm scared. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yin and Yang, ebony and ivory, right here totally. in the studio. So, uh, why Cabal Crafted? Why now? And um, how did you learn the skills that are required to to build these products from hand? Mm. Well, Cabal Crafted started first from uh, this tiny little bedroom in Riverside, hmm. and the way that it came about was out of practical need. One of my belts, it broke. And <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah. And yeah, this seems like a really common occurrence for a lot of my friends too. And I was like, man, I want to learn how to make things with my, my hands too. And so I made a belt at one point and then some friends wanted me to make some belts for them. Mm. And my girlfriend at the time said, they really want to give you their money. Stop denying them, <laughs> and uh, and it um, and it continued from then where, where I quit my nine to five, and discovered that my my interest is in integrating life, design, and craft into a way of living, and I re I'm pretty largely self taught um, since my degrees in philosophy, I'm really good with internalizing ideas and right. concepts. But then being an athlete previously, I'm really good at taking ideas and concepts and physicalizing them. Um, and so that's that's kind of how that, that came about. Now um, we've moved past just leather craft and moved into making bags uh, waxed canvas bags and are hoping to move into furniture. Um, I work for an interior design studio kind of on the side and so I'm working on spatial hmm. um, ways to design. Mm -hmm. And how about you, Tony? Well, 
when did you come aboard it's crazy yeah so it all started when i was born no i'm just kidding (laughs) in the beginning there was tony yeah so and there will be tony um it's so tony backwards is why not yeah so like oh there we go (laughs) all right so to answer your question um walter and i were both ucr alumnus and uh after he graduated he still stayed in the area Mm-hmm. And then, like, uh, there's this big coffee shop in Riverside called Hidden. Or no, I'm sorry, Arcade. Arcade Coffee. Arcade Coffee. Arcade. Okay. Shout out Arcade. Mm-hmm. Shout out Arcade. Great coffee. But then, um, it's it's cool. Little tangent on that space give you some context. And Absolutely. Clarity. It's it's basically a coffee shop that's also like a co-working space that, through oh. design, they've made it so that people are almost forced to interact with. Complete strangers. And you, wow. Yeah, you can't sit by yourself. You have to make it so that you sit by yourself. Yeah. Oh man. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So the the flow of conversation between strangers there is just so kind of like this, just very natural. Right. And uh, yeah, one one day I just went in with my buddy John, who also is on the aboard aboard the Cabal Crafted team. We we see we see this guy named Walter, and then we're we're talking we're talking about how um, <laughs> English wasn't was neither of our second our first language. Oh. Yeah, yeah, and like how we had to take like ESL classes, whatnot. Oh, back I remember being I was like, that myself. Yep. Yeah, and I was like, why, why am I in here? Like, I feel, I feel so like inferior. You know, it's like, dude, it's it's kind of weird. You know? Yeah, you kind of get segmented. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. At, at one point, um, yeah, they, they actually put me in a room with just like autistic kids, hmm. and uh, I was like, seriously, yeah. Just, just give some more, you know, background. And then uh, out of nowhere, this Walter dude is like, "What? You, you guys, you guys are also, you know, English second language? What?" Yeah. yeah. But then he, he couldn't, he, he didn't share that or the same, you know, resemblance that he didn't go to. Like, he didn't have to go to these ESL classes. Yeah, yeah. English but, is my second language, but I didn't do ESL, and I was like, "Wait, what? Uh, what this is a, this is a thing. Like, what? Why yeah. is this?" Right. Mm. Yeah, dude. A lot of people don't know this, and mind of a share. You know, Walter is actually, you know, he's an immigrant from the Philippines. So like, mm. most people wouldn't put a bat an eye or notice, but then it's like, mm. this man has worked incredibly hard to essentially assimilate and become, you know, what yeah. one might see as American. You know? Yeah. But, mm-hmm. And I have a lot of respect for that. And the, it's, it's definitely one of the, one of the, Walter's, you know, endless perseverance towards doing more. And right. Try, you know, just being his best at all times you know at least trying to it's definitely a very strong reason that keeps me keeps me like wanting to work with him for the better good mm. you know and it seems like that pull um in the early times just kind of kept us running into each other so mm-hmm. that after a while um when the coffee shop would close at like 2 p.m right uh tony and john and justin w- i invited them over to the studio because I always work with the, it's pretty much my garage, it, with the garage open. And I like to invite people in. Hmm. And I said, you guys are free to come over and do work here while I while I work on other things. After a few months, they just started going, you know, what is, what is that? Why are you doing that? Right. What is that made of? And then an event would come. And then, you know, Tony would be like, hey, can I help out? This is kind of cool. And hmm. to have somebody like Tony, actually, um, to think that Cabal Crafted has value is, um, it's very valuable for me, Mm. you know? I'm 30, and Tony just graduated from UCR, and Tony, Tony's fire for, and and his vision uh, that we can see the same thing, I think 
that that does something for me to be able to see from my lens, but then to also know that somebody who's totally different overlaps. Yes. I think that's one of the things that we really prize is bringing people who seem different together through objects. What he said, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, we were talking a little bit earlier, and uh, in full transparency, folks, this podcast is a learning experience for me, too, because we got halfway through it, a beautiful conversation, and then the, and then the program crashed. But what we did talk about earlier is that even between Walter and I and Tony, we each have a relationship to brands and products mm. and objects that were around and meant different things because mm. they came out at the time that they did. So for example, I was talking about a pair of pants that I wore to death, blew out the knees on both sides, was not fashionable, didn't know how to sew, <laughs> yeah. stitched that bad boy up with some bubble gum and some tape, um, and mortified my mom when she took <coughs> that thing out of the laundry. But those pants gave me confidence. They gave me mm. a sense of belonging. Mm. Um, I didn't get bullied as much when I wore those pants. I thought it was like some weird talisman or whatever. Yeah. Um, and then, Tony, you were mentioning a lot of the big streetwear brands that came out in the uh, kind of the, the late aughts yeah. was uh, was part of your formative years. And I recall when I was working in a skate shop, we were carrying a lot of that stuff. And my boss was actually helping mentor those guys. Mm. And so surreal now that, you know, if you fast forward 10 years from that time mm. when you were a kid, now it's a whole other set of totally brands, different set. all other yeah. set of different experiences, objects mm -hmm. that people are tying definitely, themselves to. Definitely, mm -hmm. yeah. It's it's really I I'm really I, <laughs> brain fart, but my my background is also I've I've worked in in fashion and through uh, I used to do buy and sell for, for like high high design goods back in uh, downtown LA, mm -hmm. and uh, it's it's really interesting to see that from growing up to now <coughs> how just how men's fashion in particular is definitely skyrocketing on like so an much. exponential curve. Back yeah. in the day when I was in middle school, people would be like, oh. Why, why do you why do you care so much about how you dress? Why do you spend so much mm. money on clothes? Right. Like, well, what's what's wrong with you? I mean, yeah. I don't, what are, are you people people like yell like slurs? You be like, oh, this, this, this he's, he's gay. Questioning your identity. Yeah, yeah, you know, putting your... gender uh, gendered, but in a kind of misanthropic way toward you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. dude. And I was like, ah, oh, okay, yeah, interesting. That's... But then seeing now these same people are like. Hopping onto the train, it's like oh, some some of these same people are like oh yeah, where'd you get, where, mm -hmm. where where'd you where'd you get that chain? Where'd you get them shoes? And it's yeah, like, mm -hmm. and it's it's really interesting to see. I and it makes me happy. It makes me happy more so because uh, kids that were like me back in the day can now live without fear of being bullied if they have a genuine interest in like the textiles and general interest in like how they like to silhouette themselves, how they like to trade mm -hmm. themselves, how they like to wear their clothes. Right. I think that's such an important thing because at the end of the day, it's, 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 it may sound so cliche, but then, you know, what you wear is definitely a form of expression of yourself. 100%. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's how we met. So I met oh, Tony yeah. uh, at a very interesting time in my life. I was working a nine-to-five job, and it, it started off as something that I thought I wanted, and then it quickly became a very stressful situation where I, was fighting depression and anxiety mm, and real, uh, one of the few outlets that I, I allowed myself was to dress a bit more brazenly and a bit yes, more please uh, you could say flamboyant but I love the word fabulous now I'm watching mm. a lot of RuPaul's Drag Race it's really changed my vocabulary yeah, yeah but yeah. Uh, it's so you know I'd wear a leopard overcoat <coughs> with some boots 
Um, and then I would interview someone who's worth mm -hmm. like $4 billion and mm. it would completely subvert their expectations. But I came into the room feeling that I knew who I was. I love it. And that's how I'm going to present myself. But despite all of this supposed confidence, um, I was really suffering, you know. Mm, I had a, that's real. Someone really close to me almost dying in a car accident that completely turned me upside down. I was going to therapy and I needed something. And so I have been attempting to collect sneakers and all of this stuff my whole mm. life because when I was a kid, it was the shoes that immediately got you clocked for not having style and right. not fitting in right. or not being at a so certain socioeconomic level or being on the in crowd. Mm. And we didn't have all the express I, back I then, so you're not getting those knockoff shoes for yeah, 1999. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so I've, I've been collecting Vans sneakers for a long time, one of the, f the few uh, heritage kind of shoe brands that mm -hmm. was born and bred here in Orange County and still yes. a global thing. Yeah. Uh, so I, I started uh, writing for this uh, fan blog that would get you know fed press releases, and I started applying the skills that I had in my day job to my my hobby and my passion and then I found out that these shoes were being released and I I was a little bit late to the race I didn't have any of the earlier releases so mm -hmm. I go to this boutique in Costa Mesa and I I run into um, Tony and his friend who I'd never met in in person before mm -hmm. um, and then I decided to jump in their car and then we spend the next 18 hours together and survive uh, some random dude coming and trying to swing at people <laughs> in line in the middle of the night. See, that's crazy. Uh, and then the dude that yeah. was sitting next to me ended up like installing home theaters for a living, mm. and he just like knocked the guy out. What? But anyway, yeah. that whole experience was just really dude, that, uh, that, that, that was such a great time, dude. That oh that God. and it, that was a great example of community, mm, right? Yes. The thing that brought us all together was mm. the pursuit of the shoe. But the shoe mm. is just a vessel, right? <laughs> yeah. The shoe yeah, is yeah. a totem for identity, mm. for belonging. So when you have the shoe, you have the experience. Mm. Yeah. And so I think that perfectly segues into, um, in addition to what you do with Cabal Crafted, you also put on music festivals and different mm. types of events and yeah, whatnot. Dude, and events yeah. is also a big part <laughs> of what Cabal Crafted is, which is community. So tell us a little bit about how someone um, recently graduated kind of jumps in to, to doing that type of work? Well, I think throughout my entire life, I've really wanted to find a sense of identity and like what my, where my values lied. Sure. And I think through the, through college, I was able to really find that, find where my strengths lie. And with that as well, I really discovered that I love community and I love bringing people together. And through music festivals, through what I dub Hidden Fest, I can create and facilitate an environment where one, creatives being, that being performers, even actors, dancers, brands, designers, X, Y, and Z, creatives on the very broad spectrum of the term are able to connect with one another. Right. And two, a lot of them are up and coming and can get actual exposure through live um, live communities from different locales. We've had three events to date. The first two were born and bred in Santa Ana, California. We started mm -hmm. at a coffee shop. Shout out Hidden House Coffee. Hidden House. Mm -hmm. From Hidden House Coffee to the actual Fourth Street Market, an indoor and outdoor food like food court slash a venue. Mm -hmm. And then uh, we just did our most recent event in Highland <coughs> Park. And this is some exciting news that uh, um that. We just confirmed yesterday, and I'm I'm really happy to share with both of you guys. We're 
which is locked down a collaborative event with Commissary and Costa Mesa. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Commissary. uh, The people at Commissary are great, and uh, they're. It's it's gonna be the first time that uh, the Hidden Fest name is gonna be uh, associated with another brand name that's had so much basically history and mm. respect within all the communities I admire, you know? Mm. So this, t- also, you know, that, that was a huge long tangent, but to answer your question, I throw Hidden Fest because, you know, I care about bringing people together. And mm. when you put, we put people and their experiences above profiting and money, when you really care more about sustainability and keeping the positive and earnest spirit alive, I think that resonates really strongly in people and why people keep coming back and why people want to contribute and why people just want to, you know, exist in that space with us. <coughs> and and having somebody like Tony who is interested in putting these kinds of events on, on the Cabal Crafted team, is this really cool thing where I feel like a lot of any of the training that Tony gets from me doesn't only just like come back to Cabal Crafted. Right. Really, I feel like the seeds that get planted in Tony when we spend time together, not just from me, but from, um, I mean, the kind of circumstances you run into hanging out with like a 30-year-old or something like that. Right. Um, they affect Tony in a way where the fruit that he grows I can see um, is being picked off of his tree and being given to other people you know people Absolutely. want are are finding shade in that people are um, finding life from that and that makes me that makes me feel as if my contribution with doing cabal crafting because it's not it's you know I'm not rolling in the dough here yeah but that's something that I would call worthwhile that's contributing to changing the culture. And that's really um, both the larger Hidden Fest event that uh, Tony helps to put on and always has Cabal Crafted, like uh, uh, invites Cabal Crafted to participate in. And Cabal Crafted is interested in not necessarily changing, you know, ways objects are made or, or events are necessarily put on, but we're at the end of the day there's a sense of wanting to contribute the kind of culture we want to live in. And that, and that has a really broad spectrum of receiving people. I think that's a great point. A lot of the brands that we now see as global and having so much wide and mass appeal and notoriety starts with culture, starts mm. with some sense of authenticity. Mm. Um, I think the most ubiquitous one we know now is a box logo and Supreme and all of that. Mm. But how mm. does a child actor from England start <laughs> a, a, inf- a now infamous streetwear brand uh, that was not, well, it's been a while now, that is acquired by a private equity firm? This has not happened every single day. Mm. But when you look at the early things that they created and the things that they produced and the people that were hanging around, it was a moment, right? So everything that gets produced in that time that people are hunting down like it's you know a national treasure situation it's because everyone's dying to find a sense of of culture of of a moment in time that felt real that felt more real than whatever it is that is the counterbalance that Mm. that people don't want Mm. Um, i work here on a college campus and i see 
people probably observe a band t-shirts of, of mm. artists that were that were already dead before they were born mm-hmm. um i saw an i saw a slew i kid you not i saw a slew of students walking by me with cash money millionaire so not even Lil wayne but we're talking juvenile and birdman mm. and the big timers uh and you know master p t-shirts and mm. stuff like that and oh, it's yeah. it's fascinating to me um and the resell on that stuff is crazy oh my goodness. right people are hitting the flea markets now uh Watherspoon and round two and that whole thing is is already having its moment so going back to the things that you produce um how have you learned to kind of manipulate the different media <coughs> that you work with Mm-hmm. Um, and what is it about the the mediums <coughs> that you do choose? You know, whether it be leather, canvas, mm-hmm. furniture. Mm-hmm. I know when people go out and we buy things, mm-hmm. we always want that. But we, I think, less and less now, any of us actually know how to do any of that. Right, so right. since you're self-taught, can you tell us a little about your process? You know, yeah. so let's say we have a few few of your, the different things you brought yeah, with us we've today. Got, we've got backpack. So um, walk us through. Tricks. Yeah, just walk us through some of your favorite pieces and, and how did you learn how to do it and what goes into making it? Cool. Um, let's t- actually, I, you got to see this. Tony, can you talk about the bookmark here a little? So one of our most, I, I would say, low-key, my favorite product that we have yeah. is a leather bookmark. And it's, do it's you, actually... Do you have like a, like, a, like a book or anything, like a little pamphlet or a magazine? Oh, here, oh, oh, actually, there was a pamphlet here. There you yeah. go. So uh, essentially, we're a, each each bookmark or like most bookmarks we have are actually made from like leather scrap. That is the result of or the byproduct of the pro- other products we make, like bags and whatnot. Yeah, other studios would just throw those away, right. and they're these yeah. big chunks. Yeah, uh, they're not actually. I mean, they're called scraps. Yeah, but they're these huge chunks of some of the best leather here in the states. Yeah, interesting. Mm-hmm. So rather than. I think this this definitely goes back to like an Asian American like mindset. It's like, well, our folks came here, and us included. You know, we're not we don't have all the resources, but we know how to be resourceful. Mm-hmm. So what Walter did was he designed through through what would be discarded on a general uh, basis. He made a he made a bookmark that solves the the niche little purpose of, or the niche little problem of uh, slipping slipping and sliding. So he integrated. Bookmarks usually do that. They just like oh yeah because they're through. so slick. Exactly. Mm-hmm. That's so right. He integrated a little flap where you can actually stick it in between pages. So if you wanted if you wanted to save a page or multiple pages, that's cool. If you wanted to save a chapter or, or before you go to bed or something, that would be perfectly fine. And mm. the best part too is. See how the roundness counteracts with the blunt edges uh, of the book. It's the mm-hmm. juxtaposition of round oh, to, to it's square aesthetic, edges. Aesthetic, man. <laughs> <laughs> Freaking so, Tony. We'll take a photo of this and and uh, put it up yeah. in the in the write up so you yeah. all so the viewers and that they get yeah. some. They get some it is very it is very round and it does. Just and and one of the things one of the yeah. things you're able to do is you're able to save the exact line that you left off on. Oh, um, yep. There's oh, a little yeah. cutout here for those that can't see it. Yeah, yeah. that's mm-hmm. exactly right. And then, um, yeah, just like Tony said, you're able to uh, not only mark single pages, but you can mark entire sections. So you can go, right. oh, chapter two is not that big. Yeah. Um, and so that gives a lot more. It's a contribution that we've given to the bookmark. 
um, I say I say we, but Tony's trying to get me uh, to be a little better about like I designed this. Yeah, you know, it's um, tough, right? It's tough to take ownership of things. Yeah, you know, I'm we're, still, I'm, we're all immigrants or yeah. children of immigrants. Yeah, so. and, and I'm still working on it. Tony's really good at going like, um, Walter, you can say that. Like, yeah. just 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 own it, you know. And um, it's fun when I get to do the the reverse, also, you know, because Tony also comes from. Uh, like a family of immigrant parents, even though he was born here and stuff, Tony really has to go back and forth between speaking Vietnamese and and English every totally time he goes it. home. Totally you know? The whole the whole we versus I thing, I think it has more to speak about our generational differences. It's really interesting what I've noticed, you know, it's like um, Walter, you, you, you and, uh, hi and Walter, you guys, you guys uh, exist in a generation where it's like, okay, you guys know both uh, tradition and are able to yeah, connect with spot, the huh? new yeah. and mm. ask questions. Mm. Whereas, you know, I would say my generation and generation after me, you know, we know very little of tradition. Mm-hmm. And our, you know, we're we're born, a lot of us born straight into the, <laughs> the realm of Fortnite, you know, it's like- That's right. Mm. Yeah, they mm. don't, they straight don't know into the, an internet generation. Exact, exactly, yeah. not knowing of the trials and tribulations, like uh, a lot of our ancestors, I'm talking about, like you know, people of color and whatnot, mm, that, that had to mm. struggle to get to that's right where we are today. Mm. So it's it's really interesting, you know, the whole I versus we thing. But then it, it gives me hope too, just because uh, you know, here we are having a conversation. You know, I agree with that as well. The fact that we can have an intergenerational conversation, and we've all respectively lived different lives with different inputs, different cultural inputs as well. Um, There seems to be a common thread, and a large part of that is just finding a way to connect over music, art, culture, aesthetics, like we belong to something a lot larger or more inclusive than just our own individual experience. So I think that's a perfect segue to getting into this thing that you guys have put in so much time and energy into, Walter, can you walk us through what these products are that you've created and how you've gone about designing them? Cool. We have a few other um, products here, and these are some of our main leather pieces. And you'll notice um, none of these things have been made with any electricity. So they're all hand-stitched, and they combine like modern industrial design thinking, which means that um, they're designed in a way uh, so that they can be repeated, Mm. but they require hand skill, Um, they require the human, we don't want human hands to be irrelevant, and the skill that comes with that, to just like be a story, you know, like we can still make this stuff and and the robots don't necessarily have to do it. So we have three different kind of wallets right here. Um, we've got our smallest one. This is the 206 wallet. Um, it's called the 206 because there was a, that was the address of the Cabal Studio um, when it got made. It was a 206 Knox Court. <coughs> oh, was this in Riverside? It was in Riverside. That's mm. right. And the way that this is made is it usually, usually small wallets like this have a, a clasp right here or a little right. button. button. Um, and then it kind of defeats the purpose of having this small footprint. But when you don't have a flap... It falls out. Well, you've just got this, like, disorganized mess. 
Yes, I would agree with that. Mm-hmm. My interest was to be able to have organization while having a little small footprint. And so I created a partition to separate your least used cards from the most used cards, mm. um, like my ID card here. And evidently my Ikea card is a most used card. <laughs> um, and this is made without any stitches. This is a brand new one, and this is what it ate, how it ages over time. And, you know, we talked about this when we met up for coffee the first time, but uh, so you said the book binding had a huge influence That's on this, right. right? Yeah. Where mm, that, that entire piece is made from one piece of leather, and on some of the edges I had to learn a technique that bookbinders use to be able to essentially thin them down to paper thickness. And the cementing technique that I used is a combination of pressure and contact cement that I stole from boot makers. Mm. And the way that this is even constructed without using any stitches, that uses industrial design to be able to have these precise folds and then to be able to um, cut them out exactly the same. Right. Uh, we use a manual press, not like a laser cutter or anything. And the reason, Interesting. Yeah, the reason why we use a manual press is because it requires our bodies. That's what we mean by humanness. It requires a human, right? Not just a human finger, but like the human body. You have to scoot the thing over. You got to pull and use your weight. You have to adjust it if it's not right, those kinds of things. Um, with our Dixon wallet, usually you'll see that wallets have horizontal pockets. Yes. Um, I've made the pockets vertical here so that the cards don't fall out. You'll see um, the cards are organized by what I like to call visual hierarchy. Again, your most used cards are in the front and your least used cards. They're not all seen. There's a little visual cue here to say, hey, there are more cards back here. Uh... And if you've, got, if you've got a gazillion cards back there, well, those aren't the ones that you use all the time. Right. If you have multiple cards in a pocket like this, um, each, of these, each of these can fit like three cards. This arch right here allows <coughs> for you to fan the cards out so you can choose the card that you want and then use it and then put it back in without having to dig through all the cards. Oh, that's fantastic. Right, so this is the, the, this is this is not the wallet for everyone because some people really like to use all their cards all the time or like to see all their cards all the time. Right. But one of the things that that I noticed was that not everybody likes to have a disorganized wallet. Right. And so for the people who don't want that, um, they're able to have a small contribution to better walleting. Right. Mm. And this is the the 206 is for somebody who likes to carry pretty much no cash. Right. Um, the Dixon wallet is uh, for somebody who likes a little bit more of a traditional feeling wallet. Yeah. Um, it's a lot slimmer. And then the 201 wallet is kind of the hybrid. So somebody who likes to carry some cash and then still likes a small uh, footprint. So you'll see here that um, once again, we've got that uh, visual hierarchy where your most used cards are in the front, and then you can have like all the rest of your cards in here. Mm. The cash, um, it goes in this little um, oh. slit right here. What that does is allows for the bills to come out like this, and you can flip through them without having to dig through your bills, and then pull the one out that you want, and then go ahead and close this and still have bifold functionality in your shirt pocket. 
That's amazing. Yeah, it's a really small kind of thing. So there are these kind of three different wallets. Um, instead of trying to make the wallet that will, you know, rule them all. Or <laughs> You're going to break the everyday carry kind of, yeah, uh, subreddit. Of, yeah. yeah, you know, um, it, it seemed important to focus on specific needs. Right. And, you know, we haven't solved all the problems, but these are our intentional contributions. Mm. And um, another thing I'd like to add that, that makes uh, makes Cabal Crafted a lot more unique than other, you know, traditional craft labels or like, uh, you know, luxe brands is that we, it's interesting, we use a lot of t- a lot of same tools that Prada has been known to traditionally use. Mm. Oh, wow. You know, and we use some of the best leather that you could find in the town, like from the best tanneries in the United in States. In the States. We use like three, some of the three oldest ones. But yeah. because, you know, we're, we're a small firm and we're not looking to completely just monetize and make a boatload of money off this rather we're looking to be sustainable and just grow the price points for these i would say as or as you would say fabulous products are <laughs> that's right wolf and wolf and region i would say are quite accessible would you like to elaborate on the price points of each of these yeah so um the bookmarks are three uh like a pack of three for eight dollars yeah um this the 206 usually these would retail um or even be sold direct for about like 78 80 yeah um and that's because of all the work that has to go into it right but we've designed something to be within the price point that we want and this is 58 the dixon wallet this is a lot more craft intensive right um and so you have somebody who wants something a little bit more traditional yeah um and so this guy here is 108 and then the uh, the 201 um, has been a really cool one for us um, and we want this guy to uh, kind of receive a little bit more press than it has been getting but that one is around the 98 range right now and then lastly we have our call this the Nomander wallet um, uh-huh. it's a splice of the Nomad and the Wander word you know yeah um, but this one's been uh, indigo dip dyed and uh, hand stitch also. It's made from one entire piece of leather, and it's got an integrated bookmark so that your pages are marked. Uh, yeah. um, but it also tucks back behind behind the book when you don't need it. Right. Um, but the main feature here is that the pen holder is also the lock that keeps it closed. Um, mm. We decided to take two problems and then try to solve it in an integrated way. It's fantastic. Yeah, it's those those kinds of things. Or the tote bag here solves this solves this problem <coughs> of uh, having one one strap always falling off. Right. And it's a real it's a real bother. Yeah. You know? um, so I designed this uh, staggered, uh, really weird. I have all these like weird hidden construction things. Yeah. But. Um, Essentially, what's needed is not another strap, but it's the human arm and the human hu- usage to be able to use it. Oh. And it looks like it looks like um, an ordinary tote because where your arm is is where the other strap would have been. Oh, interesting. And what this prevents is <coughs> it prevents you having to deal with your tote so that you can continue on with your life. If um, if totes weren't so finicky. I think folks would be able to um, use them a little smoother, and that was one of the 
design goal. So, yeah. like, trying to dig for your keys down at the bottom doesn't seem to make any sense. No. It's 2019. That's right. Um, so still using traditional hardware, um, just reconstructed what a tote might be like. You'll notice that the bottoms of totes tend to be square. Yeah. Um, but when you put weight in there, the bottoms, they curve out. Right. And so I listened to that, and instead of trying to resist the weight, um, the bag now just accepts it. Yeah. And so the bag doesn't deform in that way. Right. Those are the kinds of um, details that we try to pay attention to um, because it means we pay attention to humans, you know? That's right. I yeah. recall uh, when I was in Japan and I met up with one of my old boss's friends, He's like the most dapper looking dude and the most utilitarian thing he had was just like this tote bag. Mm. And it wasn't super elaborate. It didn't mm. have a million straps and buckles and mm. snaps and zippers, but it just worked. Mm -hmm. And he was able to get through the entire day without needing to overload the thing. Mm. It just had just the right amount of room and space. Right, that's right. Yeah, if you design something well, it probably is, well, at least, the way the way that I'm designing right like my parameters um, I really want for things to be like pretty quiet so yeah. that you can use them and they do the things that uh, you need pretty smoothly like like with this wallet you can just pull your ID out and then give it to the person get your drink and then like plop it back in right without having to dig for your cards and then without having like an ugly looking card wallet you know? that's right um, Quiet service is just a thing. Like they like they'll they'll serve you your like the little wallet will serve you your card and then it'll take it back and then it'll just it's quiet. Right. And I like I like that because if people take the time to be able to um, notice the details of the cabal crafted pieces, um, that skill is transferable to people, you know. And I like I like that. Um, can contribute something more than just hype, I guess. So cumulatively, with both of your respective time, effort, energy, and enthusiasm put into this, the promotion of the brand, the community building with the brand, how many hours, because if we, if we go on a Malcolm Gladwell tip, how many hours <clears throat> of life have you already given to this? Um, yeah, Cabal Crafted is on its fifth year it's like sixth holiday season but yeah. like fifth fifth year yeah definitely i put in well, a little upwards of like nine million hours yeah nine million that's a conservative <laughs> yeah, best yeah. i, I uh, <laughs> checked the tab yesterday but i think we're at uh, nine million yeah, one, something like that. yeah um that i i don't really keep tabs on it but then yeah, i did yeah, i joined i joined walter and really started working close with him like earlier earlier this last year yeah mm. Yeah, and Tony's a big, you know, at around the six-year mark, um, you are, you kind of know what you do well, and you're not trying to be anything. Right. And one of the things that can also come is kind of <clears throat> coasting, you know. This is how it's been. Um, nobody really approaches Cabal Crafted, except for, you know, the people within the community circle or something like that and so like this is where we're, we'll kind of stay but Tony Tony um, still sees 
what I saw, I think, super early and is excited in that same way. Right. And I'm able to tap back into that because then I'm like, yeah, man, like nobody <clears throat> makes stuff like this because they don't have Walter's brain, you know, like right. there are different ways to solve problems. Um, but this unique way of doing it, uh, Tony keeps reminding me, dude, this is, a, this is a thing, man. Don't, don't forget it. You know? So it's, we're, we work well with each other like that. Yep. <laughs> I think that's great. And I, you know, we were talking about this before we started recording, but I think having someone in proximity and being adjacent to you, uh, with different energy, with different life experience, with different, um, perceptions of, and relationships with different types of of objects of different types of influences keeps you on your toes and really I think does. that's really tough um, you know speaking for myself coming from uh, a family where you know my mom came here on a boat from in the early 80s no and you know being raised on uh, the wages of someone who has used their hands their entire lives mm to pamper and nourish and also mm. be a pseudo-therapist mm. <laughs> to women and men across the Orange County mm. area. Uh, and then and then to find myself not realizing until my adult years that my fascination and obsession with fashion and yeah. clothes Seriously. and these different objects is, is kind of inextricably tied mm. to the same type of labor and, and efforts that people Mm. put forth that that made it possible for like me to even connection. to see that mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. so look you see a manicure you see a pedicure someone does eyelashes someone cuts your hair really well that's um, manual labor man that's manual labor that's a craft that oh you that's took an art words right out of my mouth right? man someone uh someone does makeup for a living that's mm -hmm. an art that's a craft mm -hmm. um yeah, no robot's gonna do your makeup man no robot's gonna know how to have the taste mm -hmm. to identify these types of artists and make sure they can all get along mm -hmm. make sure they can all get their fair share mm -hmm. um to decide that oh hey the the trade and the skill of this somewhat tangential maybe not explicitly related skill of book binding mm. and mm -hmm. boot making mm -hmm. can be applied to the thing that we care that all of us in some way or form carry with us mm -hmm. every single day yeah man. yeah it connects objects can and the key word is can um, I don't think they always do and, right uh, but objects can connect people to things past the object like a whole history of, of absolutely craft, a whole another culture a whole right. another way of thinking about things right and Objects can even connect people to people, you know. Um, some like it's wild sometimes walking into arcade and then um, you're like, oh man, that they're carrying a Cabal Crafted bag, and some every once in a while someone will be like, oh dude, that's Cabal Crafted bag. How do you know Walter and Tony? You know, there's a and, person. Yes, uh huh. And that's what I really like is that our relationship with our customers is different. And, um, you know, I don't know how that scales or if it scales well. Right. Um, but scaling is not part of the vocabulary of humanness, right? Right. Scaling is part of the vocabulary of capitalism, which is not bad or, I mean, it's pretty bad for some, for a lot of people. But I mean, if like that vocabulary is not necessarily here or there. Right. Um, the vocabulary we want to use is stuff that 
that really connects uh, people. That's meaningful, man. You know, yeah. like I just don't want to make more stuff and just like sell more stuff. You know? Yeah. So these things are 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 pretty layered. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Well, I appreciate you guys sharing your perspective, your stories, uh, your passion with us. Uh, do you have anything that you'd like to promote or share, or just you know, some of the folks that listen to this are maybe a little bit scared to mm. start or keep going mm. at something that they're passionate about because the perception that if you don't scale, mm. if you don't have tons of clout, if you're not doing it at the same level as somebody who had com- completely different life experience and context than you, mm. then you should just give up and just mm. kind of tuck into whatever it is that you've been handed. Mm. What would you say to them? Um, I'm going to take a quote from them. Um, a Vietnamese, now Vietnamese American author named Ocean Vu. <coughs> when it comes to any, like especially personal pursuits and projects, uh, scare yourself, but don't be scared of yourself. You know, um, I think it's mm. really important to take a step back and realize that you. I, I'm gonna speak. I'm gonna speak on a broad spectrum. I think most people would much rather live with the acceptance that okay, I've tried and I failed, and that's okay. I did my best rather than say well what if right because the what if that can be a phantom pain that can linger for the rest of your life and mm. that's that's not something that i've you know either walter or i and i'm also you know i don't i don't think that's something that either of us wanted to live with so mm. we took our own dives into our own particular paths and did what we felt was truly like food for our spirit you know mm. so yeah, um, uh, that's that's how I feel, and I, mm. I hope that if anyone's listen, that's listening to this and is on the edge of wanting to start a brand, start a band, mm. make a movie or X, Y, and Z, you know, it's learn from learn from predecessors and those who have done it well, and try. Mm. It doesn't hurt to try, right? Mm. It's fantastic. Yeah, one of the. One of the uh, it's hard to it's hard to give advice, right? Because so I'm not I'm not gonna try to give advice, but I, I'm definitely gonna try to say a thing that I've observed or a thing that I've learned. And I know that one of the things that has scared me in the past is sort of becoming ordinary, or just um, I think it's a very uh, punk rock word. When I was always listening to punk in the '90s and was uh, like <coughs> complacent, right, and stuff like that, you know. Right. Um, but one of the things that I'm learning is that there, there can be a lot of, of beauty and ordinariness, and um, there's a sense in which, it like it's cool that, like we do cabal crafted, um, but what we re- what really brings us joy is the day to day ordinariness of making things of being with each other, and nobody gets to really see that stuff. Right. You know, like hiddenness and ordinariness and nothingness, nobodiness, that stuff, it can it can fill your soul, you know, because it's it's very lightweight. And um, if there's a way to kind of pay attention to like the smaller things, you know, you can still pursue what it is that you want to and not necessarily make money off of it. That's you know, true. That's like absolutely true. You can true. work a day job so that you don't have to sell your passion. Right. Um, I learned that from a theater artist named Rose Kim, and she does a she does a day job 
and she calls it like uh or other people call it her boring day job yeah but she does that so she doesn't have to sell her theater art right the burden of her passion um or 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 uh, like her her passion doesn't have the burden of making money right and there are there are a whole bunch of different ways um that i've learned that things can be discovered like you can do them a bunch of different ways um so you can take what you want from that, um, but that's all I got. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's yeah. well put. So where can folks find you and learn more about what you're working on and, and explore the these products that you're making? Yeah, you can follow us on Instagram at Cabal Crafted. That's C-A-B-A-L-C-R-A-F-T-E-D, Cabal Crafted. And then you can go online and order some pieces at cabalcrafted.com. A little note here, um, I've been in transition, uh, like we moved studio, and there's just a little, like a few things going on in the back end, but don't worry, like things are going on in the back end, and we're making stock. We had some folks email about like tote bags and stuff like that, um, and I love that people are coming back and they are patient also but participate in the slow spirit with us and um, allow and allow for us to you know like I'm working through like we're Tony and I are kind of sick right now and um, there's some things that we're working on sick AF (laughs) (laughs) but those kinds of things like um, let's see customers are helping to change the culture by allowing us to be limited humans right and so once we're able to get back to uh, like producing things, um, which would be fairly soon, th- like nothing will have been lost, you know. Right. Um, so, yeah, don't don't worry about the sold out kinds of things. Um, just if you have like any questions, then definitely email us at info at cabalcrafted.com. Otherwise, um, hope to see you at an event, and feel free to. Uh, Browse, browse the the website. It's got a bunch of cool little Easter eggs and stuff in there. Mm-hmm. And uh, also check out Hidden Fest on IG at Hidden Fest Official, which seems to have a website as well, hiddenfest.com. Um, yeah, dude, it'll be cool. Hopefully we could see you guys there. And again, hi. Thanks for letting us on your podcast. Yeah, thanks it's for been letting a us brilliant ramble. time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sharing thoughts and rambling and stuff. Absolutely. Well, appreciate you guys being here. Uh, thank you to my buddy Jai for providing the uh, intro and outro track to this podcast. Thank you to my buddy Jackie Cow for the wonderful artwork. And once again, of course, thank you to Tony and Walter of Cabal Crafted and Hidden Fest for sharing your experience mm. with us today. Appreciate you. Hi. Thank mm. you. Likewise. Super valuable.